0: So we're beginning a just a two-Sunday series here that um, lines up um, with our stewardship emphasis in looking at covenant and how covenant is a legacy that we have inherited and also a gift that we are called to give um, to future generations. And so we are in the book of Jeremiah in... Chapter 31, and we're going to read verses 31 through 34. Listen for the Word of God. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So I think some of you have heard me tell the story of this Bible, my preaching Bible, that is looking pretty pitiful. <laughs> um, the cover, and yes, George Ann McShann, I remember your bookbinder suggestion, and I need to call this bookbinder before the front falls off. Um, But this was a gift from my mother in 1994 when I had decided to follow through on my call to ministry. And on the inside, uh, it says to Valerie, I am enormously pleased with your new direction. Blessings on you. Love, Mop, my nickname for her. Christmas 1994. I have a lot of emotional good feeling, if that makes any sense, wrapped up in this particular Bible right here. It is my preaching Bible. Um, It's got my sweat stains from where I hold it. Um, And it also reminds me, too, um, that I received it from my mother. So there's a lot of legacy wrapped up in this. Um, And I also, uh, when I look at this Bible and when I feel it, there's something that's very satisfying about these pages. You know, Bible pages are kind of crinkly, kind of onion skin-like, aren't they? And I remember when I was a child and uh, my mother um, taught Sunday school a lot. And on Saturday evenings, uh, she would be usually sitting on the couch and she would have her own old Bible and it had a leather uh, backing which was well broken in um, with these onion skin pages. And uh, she would be reading and getting ready uh, to teach Sunday school the next day. And um, I remember there were months and months and months, and it may have even been a year, that she was in the book of Jeremiah. Because there are 52 chapters in Jeremiah. And so maybe she was taking a chapter a week, I don't remember. But I would go up to her and I would look over at a Bible and I'd say, Are you still in Jeremiah? And she'd say, Yes. And I'd say, Is it good? And she'd say, Well, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And I was like, Why is he the weeping prophet? And she said, Well, he writes about some sad stuff. And indeed, Jeremiah does write about some sad stuff. Jeremiah is that book which, by and large, was written or dictated, perhaps, um, during a really tough time during Israel's history, Um, Judah's history. In fact, they had split Centuries before into the northern kingdom and into the southern kingdom, which is Judah, the northern kingdom didn't exist anymore because the Assyrians had invaded and had deported off a lot of the population and you have little bitty Judah, little bitty Judah, which is trying to find its way between two superpowers, the Babylonians and the Egyptians, and they are losing their balance. And the Babylonians are flexing their muscles. They have demanded tribute. And eventually what happens, as many of us know, is the Babylonians lose patience and they invade. And they destroy, destroy Judah. And they destroy the temple, which is unthinkable. And then they send many of the people into exile, hundreds of miles away. And the book of Jeremiah is about this. And Jeremiah is God's prophet who is trying to speak God's word into this situation to try to give the people a little bit of understanding, a little bit of perspective of where is God in all this. And in the middle of the book of Jeremiah, with all of its weeping, We've got these few little chapters right in the middle about the new covenant. Some positive words that are coming into a very difficult and stressful time. And it is the word of a new covenant. Now, this, this notion of covenant, there, have, uh, there are several of us who are in uh, study groups on Wednesday evenings um, in covenant Bible study is what it's called. And so we've been considering covenant a lot. And it's interesting to think about the word covenant. And in our uh, study materials this week, they brought out the point that covenant is what happens when you have people who were not in relationship before who come into relationship, committed relationship. For instance, a marriage covenant. It's different from a contract because a contract is usually what's put in place when the relationship begins to deteriorate. Which is very interesting to think about. So, in this little text that we heard, God is speaking about a new covenant. And what I want to do is put that into context between the difference between covenant, which puts parties into relationship, into committed relationship who weren't in relationship before, and then contract, which is put into place when the relationships begin to deteriorate, to provide some kind of parameters by which the relationship can still work. And so God is speaking about a new covenant And God says, this will not be like the covenant that was given when I freed the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. And of course, the reference here is to the Sinai covenant, which is given in the book of Exodus. And we find it reiterated in the book of Deuteronomy. And God says, of course, the Israelites, they, they broke this covenant. They went chasing after false gods. And as the book of Jeremiah puts it, they go chasing after idols. And the Hebrew word for idol is also the word for emptiness. Hevel. They chase after hevel and become hevel themselves. They chase after what doesn't exist and lose themselves and become empty themselves. So the Israelites have been engaged in this. Hedging their bets against, um, you know, that, well, maybe they're, they're, there's not only just one God in the universe. Maybe all of these other, other outlying kingdoms and their gods and goddesses and stuff, you know, maybe, maybe we can just give a few sacrifices to them and just make sure we got all the bases covered, right? Maybe we can play a few power politics, you know, between these two great superpowers of Babylon and Egypt and maybe we'll come out okay listening to the word of God which is being spoken in their midst so if Israel broke the initial covenant why didn't God just slap a contract on it? the relationship has already deteriorated people of Israel have already been unfaithful and indeed, God refers to God's own self as the husband in the covenant. Why doesn't God just say, okay, this is what you got to do. Chick, 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 chick. In terms of a contract. And it seems to me that when we consider this text and we think about the covenant that is written on the heart, we think about what that means for us inside. But what does it mean if we flip that and think about what that means for God? What is going on in God's heart that makes God want to continue to be in covenant with a people and I don't mean just ancient Israel but even with us as modern Christians, of people that continually break the covenant, of people that continually struggle with what it means to be faithful, and it seems that we miss the mark so frequently. Why does God continually want to be in covenant with us? And this question arose in Bible study this week. Does God have anything to gain by being in relationship with us? And there was some discussion around this question. And, and you know, of course, from some, from some perspectives, you can say, no, God has absolutely nothing to gain. God is God. Knowing no limits of time, space, or experience. God is God. Unless we consider that out of the deep love of God's heart, God created the heavens and the earth and the animals and us. And created us to be in relationship with God. And so, in some ways, this particular text speaks to God's deep need to be in relationship with us. And that God is willing to go so far as to somehow write that on our hearts, our heart, which is the seat of agency, which is the seat of the will in the ancient Hebrew understanding, that God is willing to go that far. But as we look around our own context right now, we see that it hasn't completely happened yet. It is still something that is not yet. This covenant that is written on the hearts. Because we still need to teach each other, do we not? To know the Lord to recall the Gospel story, and to teach it to our children. We still live in that time in which we remember the story of God's love in Christ that has been passed on to us, and how we wish to pass on that story to those who come after us, looking forward to the time when the knowledge of the love of God is written on our heart and we don't even have to speak it because all know it. But we're not quite there yet. But the call is there to live as if it has happened. And so as the people of God, we are called to show forth the love of Christ. We are called to show forth the power of the Holy Spirit because that is the gift that we have received. And it is the gift that we wish to pass on in our living, in our giving, in our words, in our deeds, for it to be evident that God's love is within us. Thank mm-hmm. you.